What is going on, beautiful podcast family? I hope that wherever you are on this planet, you're doing amazing, and I'm sending all of my love, well wishes, good vibes, and prayers to you, your family, and your loved ones, wishing you all of the best. We've got an absolutely phenomenal episode of the show for you today. We have Benjamin and Azria Becker on, and we are talking about becoming everything you didn't know you wanted. This is a phenomenal episode. We dive deep on a variety of topics. We talk about the power of questions, uh, the process of becoming, choice, fate, and free will, um, combining masculine and feminine, soul curriculum, the work of Viktor Frankl, the universe as benevolent life operating system, the five T's, uh, the story of the hell's angels muscle and uh, a man's personal transformation, which is a very powerful story, ayahuasca ceremonies, happiness versus aliveness, the collective initiation, and what would love choose, the three stages of becoming, and so much more. I'm just trying to go through all these amazing show notes. This is an action pack. Uh, a very applicable episode, so you're going to get a lot from the show. If you enjoy it, please share it far and wide. Leave a review on iTunes. That's really helpful if you can take a moment to do that. Uh, consider becoming a member at mapbelair.com. Um, I am going to be putting some exclusive member content in there. There's a bunch right now, but more is coming down. So if you want to support the show, you can do that uh, by donation. And uh, if you guys are interested in some of the coaching and programs I have, whether it's the Soul Compass, Zen Athlete, the Mastermind, or one-on-one coaching, just reach out matt at zenathlete.com. There are a variety of ways that we can work together. Anything to do with peak performance, mindset, life purpose, there are going to be some tools uh, that are available to you and support you on your journey. So uh, the best thing to do to support this show as always is to do three kind acts wherever you are in the world. So let's get into a state of peace and coherence before we dive in. Wherever you are in the world, just stop what you're doing. Take in a deep breath in through your nose. Hold that breath. And let it out slowly, filling every cell, muscle, and fiber of your being with joy, peace, contentment, faith, courage, power, and get ready to enjoy this phenomenal episode. Hello and welcome to the Mastermind, Body, and Spirit Show. I'm your host, Matthew Belair. As you know, we are currently overcoming extreme censorship, so if you want to support this show, please share episodes far and wide, leave a review, uh, go to mattbelair.com and become a member, but most importantly, consider doing three kind acts wherever you are in the world today. Mm. Today's guests are the co-founding stewards of Becoming, a platform that provides transformational tools, media, and experiences to help people see beyond the veil of who they thought they were supposed to be and awaken their full spectrum aliveness. Welcome to the show, Azria and Benjamin Becker. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you, brother. It's an honor to be here. Yeah, I'm excited to dive into this. Azri and I did a podcast before, and then I got the uh, information about what you guys were doing together. And I love that because, you know, when we did our show a while back now, which feels like uh, worlds away and lifetimes away, there was just so much important knowledge there. And so it seems like you guys have really combined and just put something really special together. So I just love to start and get a little bit about, you know, your background and how you guys got to, you know, forming this idea and putting it out there. Yeah, when we spoke, I remember it well. I was, I think, in Australia and I had just kind of like spread my wings in a big way and was starting to share more of my media as medicine content. Um, I was just starting to really incubate the, the very beginning of what is now becoming, which at the time was called ancient intelligence. And um, and yeah, the, really the vision and the mission is the same, but the, the context and the expression and the way it's all happening has dramatically shifted since the last time. So 
my background is I moved from Germany to Hollywood at 21. I was convinced I was going to be, uh, you know, a famous actress and make it big in Hollywood. And over the years, I got disillusioned with that dream and I started to look for more meaning in my life. Uh, I would say the plant medicines really found me and took me on a roller coaster ride through completely letting go of my identity as an actress and stepping into a completely new expression of my soul's purpose, which was to be a, kind of a vessel for a new, new paradigm blueprint to come through. And to do that by utilizing my experience and my background in media and entertainment and storytelling, uh, as well as my, my intuitive kind of coaching abilities, which started to come online as I went deeper into the healing journey myself. So yeah, that's me. You want to? Sure. I, I come from an entrepreneurial background. Uh, my first business had, you know, 1800 employees started numerous other business after that. And, um, went through a dark night of the soul that was culminated by a lawsuit um, at a time in my life where um, I was seeking more material wealth when I didn't really need to. And that was like, that was really my, the, this, the, the catalyst for a real big spiritual awakening. And then I met Asri shortly thereafter. And then my life completely took a U-turn and yeah, we're building becoming, which is a platform uh, that we can dive into later. But um but yeah, so that's, uh, yeah, that's since, kind of the down and dirty. Since we met, we basically, within a couple of weeks, we were like, oh, you're the, you're the missing puzzle piece to the vision that we both kind of had. He wanted to live with more purpose, but he had no idea really what that was going to look like. And coming out of that lawsuit, he had been really like pretty, I mean, it was, it was like, what's the word? Like trauma. It was traumatizing to him. He, he felt, oh wait, what happened? Our microphone changed. Can you still hear us? Yeah, it blipped okay. out, but you're on the good mic again. Okay, good. Um, <laughs> violated is the word I was looking for. He felt really violated by that lawsuit and really violated by his own kind of inability to do what he said he was going to do, which was live with more purpose and instead just continually found himself in this conditioned mindset of like chasing more money and more material success. And so he had during this rock bottom moment built this really pretty extensive tool for himself, which at the time was called a personal strategic plan. Having been a member of many business organizations for a long time, uh, he kind of compiled a lot of what he'd learned, a lot of retreats he'd attended. And, you know, he was always into personal development and just put it together into this really comprehensive tool that he was on the cusp of starting to share with his community of CEOs when I met him. And I had gone deep into more of the shamanic plant medicine, intuitive healing kind of space. And so they're very opposite energies, right? Like one is very kind of logical and analytical and linear. And the other one is, is really about letting go of all of that and just trusting the flow, trusting the intelligence of life, like trusting spirit, trusting the earth. Um, and so these two opposing energies were these beautiful ingredients to build the foundation of what is now becoming. And we've spent the last three years really just like full tunnel vision, creating, 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 writing our book, which came out last month uh, and, and developing and running our program together, which is uh, a kind of a, a full expression of all of the things that we've learned along our journey, just put together into one cohesive structured offering. 
Beautiful. Well, it sounds like you both, you know, went through, uh, some amazing experiences to get you where you are today. And when you look at, you know, the becoming book and everything you guys are putting out there, there's a lot that I want to cover. And I'll just kind of start with the just basic idea of how do we break away from, you know, who we think we're supposed to be, you know, what the world tells us that we're supposed to be our parents or society or things like that to really connect to who we are, whether it's like letting go of money or this security or this idea of what we think we're supposed to build. Um, I feel like there's a challenge in the real world with people that need to provide for their families, right? But there's a, a pull for them to do something more that's more aligned with who they are. So how do you um, help them just bridge that gap to you know, live in a more aligned way? What is the real world? <laughs> really? <laughs> you know, like what yep. is the real world? It's <laughs> a good question. Uh, I mean, I think, yeah, like drawing a distinction between, let's call it the default world, the default way of doing things. Because I would say, I would argue that once you go through the awakening process, you realize <laughs> that there's a much more real world available to you. Default um, that, sounds good, yep. <laughs> yeah, that's, that feel, feels and looks completely different. Um, but but yeah, I think it's really, you know, the path of, of becoming, the way that we really look at it is, is defined by the willingness to ask essential questions. And that's also why we have the cue and name because the, the cue represents questions. And if you're willing to continually ask why and get underneath what you may just assume is normal or just how things are, that's when you are starting to very subtly begin the process of maybe disassembling the identity construct that you have unknowingly taken on to, to be quote unquote you. So it's about questioning all the layers of reality really, including your own identity and, and, and why are you motivated to do the things you're doing, right? Where is that motivation coming from? Um, is the definition of success that you've been kind of given or that you've inherited from society at large really the truest definition of success for you personally? Or is there maybe a different expression of success for you? I mean, these are there's a million questions you could ask. But I would say that certainly one of the most important parts to begin the journey is the willingness to just ask why. Yeah, I think I'll just add to that. Um, for me, what was interesting is I was I was at a place in my life after I sold my first business where I, I really was in a place where I didn't need to work. And um, because I didn't know anything different, I just kind of kept going down the same road I was going on. And I, I started saying I was going to live with more purpose, but I, I couldn't really... And for reasons beyond my conscious awareness, um, I couldn't, I couldn't step into service. I couldn't step into purpose and I didn't understand why. And I would try to be philanthropic. I would try and work with charities and, um, but I just couldn't. And, and this work with the plant-based medicine helped me discover something that I didn't realize was there, that there was a correlation between a childhood trauma that I had where I really couldn't read as a kid. I was severely dyslexic. And I thought I was stupid, really, all the way through school. Um, and I felt separate then. And because I didn't feel safe, I would seek external validation. And I was kind of on this, this program. And I couldn't really break from that. My, my way of feeling safe in the world was seeking validation from others and trying to really feel uh, worthy. Uh, and because I didn't see that, the plant-based medicines really helped me bring those to the surface and actually feel all those feelings that I needed to feel and feel connect. Also, because 
of this childhood trauma, I felt separate from the rest of the universe. When I would leave the comfort of my home and go out into the universe, which was school, uh, I felt very unsafe. And, and so that caused me not to feel connected to like anything external, the planet, community, society. Um, and so until I discovered this, this uh, created awareness around this connection, this correlation between this childhood trauma that I didn't even relate to as a trauma until recently, um, was I able to start to purge those feelings and start to feel whole and worthy and then able to step into service and purpose in a real way um, because I was in a place where I could, I, I could give and knowing that whatever I gave could be replenished and that I was carried and protected by this universe, that the universe is benevolent. It was, it was a new feeling and expression for me. And so that was uh, the real the real awakening was the creating awareness around this uh, and allowing this, this block to transmute. Well, you guys are bringing up a lot of important topics. And I think at the beginning, you, you touched one that is so paramount. It's the idea of merging the two worlds, you know, like I've always resonated with martial arts and, you know, the mind, body, spirit, you know, cultivation, and you got the masculine and feminine, we can be these dreamers, um, but we need to be able to bring that into reality and you need a plan, but is, does your plan have meaning, you know, and as you begin to execute that plan, are you doing it in misery? Are you doing it in joy? Are you handling the failures? You know, what state of being are you in? And so um, some of the other topics that you guys touch on are choice, fate, and free will and the universe being benevolent. So I'd love for you guys to kind of speak on all those concepts um, because, you know, they're, they're deep topic. So I want to hear your two cents because we have in Canada, as I said at the beginning, it's been very challenging. Um, people's, uh, they're having to reimagine their whole life because their livelihoods are being taken away. Their kids can't do the things that they uh, thought they want to do. There's becoming unsafe environments. So when you have the life, you know, and this is what I always thought about in the podcast when I would do things on like the law of attraction and manifestation and things like that. But I traveled to countries where things were very different. And then I was like, okay, you know, I know this is real to a degree, but in what in what degree can this really change? You know, does it work in full on communism? And I'm kind of observing that, but even through this uh, last two years, I've observed people who had big challenges rise to that occasion, let go of what they needed to and have these new opportunities, right? It didn't make it easy. Um, but everyone's kind of having this different experience where sometimes where someone's writing about the world and how they perceive it in a, in a state of total freedom. And when I read it, I'm like, well, I don't know if you would have that same perspective here right now, because all of your business would have been crushed. Every, you would have had to write that same thing while losing everything that you had because the government would have taken it away. So, you know, these are really big concepts, but I think they're really important for all of us to, you know, kind of consider and reflect on and figure out what our own truth is. So I'd love for you guys to speak a little bit on that. Wow. Well, that, that, that <laughs> the, the, the question to that is, or the answer to that question could probably take up the rest of the time that we have. And five more podcasts. And five more podcasts. And we probably still wouldn't get to a, to a universal clear answer at the end, but happy to give it a crack. Um, you know, I think that this is going to the law of attraction example that you gave, right? Like, how do you, how do you justify the idea that we're creating our reality when you're going to, you know, a, a country that's stricken by poverty and war and people are, are barely able to make ends meet, you know, tell them like your thoughts create your reality, right? There's, there's something there that can be very hard to compute. And this was also a deep inquiry for me for a long time. I started my spiritual journey very much with the law of attraction kind of literature and mindset. And 
I would say that the, the kind of fundamental idea of law of attraction is while it's, I, I, well, I'm not, I wouldn't say it's wrong. It's not the complete picture. It's not that we create our reality 100% of the time. It's, it's that it's, it's much more complex than that, right? Because we're, we're not individual beings. Like the biggest misconception is that we're individual, but we're not, we're part of a collective whole. We're part of a collective field. And so there's a collective energy that we are also going to need to take into consideration as we navigate our, our particular version of reality. And then also in, in terms of our own, the way we're designed only 15% or whatever it is, is actually our conscious mind making conscious decisions. The rest of us is unconscious, right? So a perfect example is Benjamin was consciously declaring, you could say manifesting that he was gonna live with more purpose, but his actions weren't aligned with that because unconsciously there was a deep program that wasn't allowing him to actually calibrate to the frequency of what he was saying he wanted to be. So when he started doing the inner work and excavating what that root cause was, he was able to start to process the, all of the vibrational material, let's, let's call it, that was in the way that allowed him to then eventually step into that version of himself. Um, but we are dealing with a, 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 an un, you know, a collective unconscious and we're dealing with a lot of collective shadow. And the way we talk about it in the book is we really believe in this concept of soul curriculum. So the, the concept of soul curriculum is that every soul has one purpose. It's to mature. It's to, it's to mature through experience, through to expand through contrast, through contrast of experience. And you could argue that the whole human experiment is, is about that. It's about having experiences that are the full spectrum and then maturing from those experiences, learning the lessons and moving on to the next one. And as we continue to evolve and expand our consciousness, our bandwidth of perception just continues to expand as well. So what was hidden in the shadows you know, of our own unconscious starts to come forward in, in, into the light of our awareness and it gives us a greater capacity to choose our experience in life. And so, the idea is that each soul has a unique curriculum it's enrolled in. And a lot of times the greatest challenges that we face are really the crux of that curriculum. So that curriculum also includes the situation that you're born into. So for example, if you're born into a war-torn country, your soul has on some level opted into that experience because there's something really valuable there for you to extract and learn from. And now this is a choice, right? Even to believe that is a choice. But if you choose to believe that, you will see that all of your perceived problems, the things that you think are happening to you, right? The things that might make you feel like you're being victimized by something outside of yourself. All of those things also have a gift wrapped in thorns inside of them. And so your job, your, your cosmic assignment is essentially simply to find the gift that's available in even the most challenging of circumstances. And if you can start to look at life through that lens, it's really a transformational way of, of interacting with, with the world because you're, you're choosing to say, okay, there's no mistakes and there's, there's, there's nothing happening to me. I'm actually on some level, whether I understand it or not, a co-creator of this experience. And maybe it doesn't make any sense to my intellectual mind. Maybe it feels overwhelming and unfair but the only power that I have as a human being is to assign the meaning that I give to whatever is happening in my life. And of course, Viktor Frankl, you know, who did this 
in the most dire of circumstances in a concentration camp during the Second World War is such a beautiful example of the power of, of, of that willingness to take responsibility for the meaning that you assign to the thing that's happening. Um, so I wouldn't say that we are the creators of our reality. We would say that you, we are the co-creators of our reality. And we're co-creating with a larger field of intelligence, of unconsciousness, of shadow. Um, and there's a lot of agendas and a lot of energies that we have to dance with and navigate uh, in this kind of collective soup that we're all swimming in, you know? So, so yes, we have choice to a degree, but the real choice that we have is an internal choice of what is the lens that we choose to wear when we're interfacing with our reality. I think that was beautifully said. I would just add, um, when, you, when you look at the universe as benevolent as working for you in the way that Azria just described, and the universe is going to give you curriculum. I used to always love the quote from Wayne Dyer. He says, life gives you the exam until you pass it, or it gives you the same exam over and over again until you pass it. And I used to have the, when I heard that for a long time in my head, internally, I would think that the goal was passing the exam and it is, but the higher expression of that same kind of philosophy is knowing that the benevolent universe, if you step into a higher expression of yourself, because the universe gave you this big challenge or obstacle, which is traction for you to grow and you grow into this higher expression of yourself. What is the universe going to do? The universe is going to give you more curriculum, more challenges so that you can grow into an even higher expression of yourself. And when you start relating to challenges and problems in this way, life just gets easier. Now, the facts of life don't get easier. Like your life is still the same and you're still in potentially this quote unquote shitty situation, but you relate to that shitty situation differently because you look at it from the perspective of, okay, I'm not going to create suffering by resisting what is. What is, is that I'm in this situation and I'm meant to learn something from it. And if I move through this challenging or difficult or shitty situation, the universe is just going to give me more curriculum. And so when you look at it that way, there's, there's a certain level of peace that comes over you and you're like, okay, it's just like getting up and going to work the next day. Okay. Like, let's go, let's go universe. I'm ready. Uh, so it really changes the, the way in which you show up. And, and that, you know, I lived in a perpetual state of anxiety and I don't really have that anymore. Um, and I think it's, it's largely by relating to challenges and obstacles this way. I think you guys were both um, very on point with that. I, I agree with the idea that we're co-creating in this universe, right? That we can influence things, but there's always this greater force at work, you know, whatever God creator, the great spirit wants to do, um, you know, is going to do, you don't, you don't have any choice over that. Maybe you made a contract or an agreement before you came to have that experience. Um, but the only thing we can really do is um, figure out how we're going to respond to that situation. Right. Um, I have friends that, you know, had their legs taken from them, ended up in a wheelchair, right. It's a horrible experience. I I'm so fortunate to be able to go skateboarding and do all these different things. Uh, but my friend made the most of it, you know what I mean? And, and had to really develop this uh, strong mental attitude about life to overcome something like that, you know? And so um, I definitely agree with that kind of idea of this co-creation and then this uh, listening to the universe. And when you guys were talking about, you know, the universe being benevolent, right? I think of it as like foundational beliefs. And is that similar to what you guys talk about as operating systems, right? Because you could think about everything, 
that happens is, uh, you know, for my benefit, even if it's challenging, right? This is happening for my benefit. And then you can respond to that situation with more power, with more intent, with more will and with more, you know, resolve to, to overcome this problem. Or you can say the universe is always out to get me, you know, it's, it's always getting me and it's all terrible. And you're probably not going to have the same amount of uh, force or, you know, ability to respond to whatever life's going to throw at you because, uh, life is challenging. You know, Alan Watts, when we talk about Zen, right, surrendering uh, to the way things are, you know, the typical Zen lessons, you know, just trying to make peace with what is, no matter what it is, you know, don't fight it. You just kind of surrender to what is. Um, he said, you know, life isn't suffering. He said a more accurate translation is life is frustrating. And we have all these attachments, right? It's like, oh, I should have this much money or I should be doing this amount of things. Well, when one example, like the friend that lost his job because of some of the stuff was going on, he allowed that to happen. He didn't compromise what his integrity was, spent a few months, you know, soul searching and grew in a lot of different ways. Um, and then the job asked him back for even more money. And so he could have gone through that in a variety of different ways and maybe it wouldn't have taken him back. But with that kind of an attitude, you know, and listening, there's going to be another option. There's going to be something for you. And that, again, goes with that foundational belief that the universe is benevolent, that it, it will help you. And um, in doing the law summit, apparently the Bible is the contract on the planet because the queen swears her oath on it. That's what some <laughs> of them, that's what they say. Apparently the queen still runs the show and she holds her hand over the 1611 King James Bible. So if you know what you're doing in court, you can bring that into court and quote that and kind of know what you're doing, but this is master level stuff. Very fascinating. So I've been looking at, uh, you know, more of the quotes and, and when people look at the challenges of the world, like one of the quotes is like, um, you know, about food, right. And being taken care of. And it says, you know, the creator God um, is taking care of all the birds in the sky. Why wouldn't it take care of you? The most beloved. And God gave dominion to land, air and water to man, not to anything else. And so if we have dominion here and we can co-create with all of life, then what are we holding on to, you know, in this matrix world or default world that may be holding us back. So um, when you guys talk about the, um, the operating system. Is that kind of what you mean is like foundational beliefs and how you operate in your daily life? Absolutely. I think they're, they're the, the belief systems that have become so integrated that you don't have to, you don't have to think about them anymore. Right. Like, like tying your shoe or driving a car. It's just, it's just a part of how you, how you show up in the world. And we certainly have a lot of deprogramming to do also, right. A lot of belief systems that are so ingrained that we don't know they're there, which are not serving us. Um, but to choose, like I said, to choose to believe that it's a benevolent universe and you're co-creating with it, that is a, a for sure like 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 a key component of the the, the becoming operating system, and um, and whatever you want to call it for yourself. And you get to that's the cool thing about this journey is you get to decide what your operating system is. You know, it, no one is prescribing it for you. You can. You can, I think a lot of us who've been on this path for years and shedding and doing the, the inner work have been pulling from a lot of different places and kind of assembling our own OS for the new paradigm, if you want to call it that, you know, just kind of trial and error, right? Um, what we've tried to really do is, is take some of the guesswork out for people and, and assemble the fundamental things that we have found to be most powerful and put them all together so that people have a framework that they can work with and then also make their own. And, uh, and I think that's kind of the next iteration of this journey of consciousness is for there, as there's more and more people on the path and more and more people stabilizing in let's call it the new OS or the new, you know, the new belief systems. 
um, there's going to be more expressions of that, that other people can then kind of take and adopt, right? Like you and I don't have to go and figure out how to make the iPhone work. Like someone did that and we can go and we can just plug into a system that already works and use it however we choose to use it to create with or to, to make our lives, you know, better with hopefully. <laughs> um, so I think that's kind of the idea. Yeah. Yeah. I think I just add to that. I think what one, one thing we really focus on going back to the essential questions is ROS uh, in many respects is a framework that asks the right questions in the right way. And, you know, I, we like to say the, the opposite of learning is knowing. And so when you take a, a, a principle and you say, this is the universal truth, um, that's a very precarious place to be. And so we have some principles that we kind of live by, but we also don't believe that there's only one truth for everyone. For everyone. And so what's really unique about our program is we have a framework to our operating system that when, when somebody comes through our program, they build their operating system with their answers to the questions. And so our, our role as custodians for these people coming through our program or as stewards is to ask them the right questions in the right way and give them a framework uh, to answer them in a way that's going to help them guide their lives. We don't profess to tell people how to live their lives, but we can ask them the right questions that if they truly sit with them, they can decide how they should live their lives and, and, and hopefully build a new operating system with the framework. But in many, many regards, our job is to ask questions and hold the space, um, but not tell them, you know, what, what the universal capital T truth is for them. That's amazing. I love that. And I really resonate that like that uh, with that from a martial arts perspective, because when you're teaching someone, um, you know, you can't do the work for them. And one thing might work great for one person, but it might not be the same for another person. So how do you, you know, teach them the deeper truths about what they're doing and how to find uh, their own answers, right? Their own understanding, like even cold training, you know, it's like you can talk about that kind of thing. And, you know, people will say, a variety of things, but you got to get your butt in the cold, go experience that and then reflect on it. Right. And your own reflection for that process is going to be uniquely your own from your own set and your own life experiences and what works for you. And so as you, as you facilitate and as you guide, I feel like that's a really powerful place to be because I, I feel like when people do this type of work, we do come to kind of the same similar conclusions. It's like, there's a million paths to the way home. You might kind of get there in your own way, but you, you fundamentally come to the same kind of operating system of, you know, cooperation of kindness of, uh, wanting to improve the world in some sort of way and wanting to uh, improve yourself and get aligned in some sort of way. Right. And, and leave, I really uh, resonate with the uh, native Americans when they talk about seven generation thinking, right. It's like, how will my life and what I do affect the seven generations to come, not just what I'm doing now. And, and these are really powerful ways to think and operate in the world. And when you guys are going through your process, like you, you touch on a lot of really important and really foundational things that a lot of people never even get to in their whole life, right? We're not really taught this stuff through school. We're not, it's, you know, it's not common to media. And, and I like when we did our first podcast, you talked about media and how important that is. And I've asked guests before, I'd say, you know, what's the one thing you would um, do to change the world? And 
one of the answers they never say is media. If we could change mm. all our TV shows, all our movies, everything that's on there to something that was, you know, hypnotizing them and installing positive attributes, we could change this world really quickly because it's a very, very powerful tool that hits everybody immediately. And so, you know, we want to go through these operating systems like you guys are providing to just understand ourselves more and then our relationship with other people and the world. And so there's a lot of stuff we could cover, but I'd love for you guys to talk a little bit about the five T's and uh, what that means and how people might be able to apply it. Wow. Um, so going going to the media piece for a second, it's funny, we're, we're in Miami right now and we don't have a car, so we're taking Ubers everywhere. And it's mind boggling to me how every single Uber driver has their radio on and is just being blasted with commercials like all day. And it's like, they're so desensitized to it. They're, they're, they're not even aware anymore, right? But, but for me, who's not exposed to commercials ever, when I'm sitting in the back of the car and, and it's just one commercial after the next coming at me, like the amount of intrusion and distraction that I experience in my consciousness is like nuts. And so, yeah, if, if people are, we are being programmed all the time, all day, every day, like whether it's our news feeds on our social media or it's the, the radio or it's the TV or whatever, like pretty much everywhere we turn, there's something coming at us that's wanting to infiltrate our, our awareness. And that can either be a hugely positive thing or it can be a detrimentally negative thing. Um, and I think most of the time, of course, the intention behind advertisement is to hook us so that we can become good consumers and make someone a lot of money. And that's really all it is, right? And so um, when we were, we were hiring a marketing person for Becoming and we interviewed a bunch of people and one of them was like, oh yeah, I've, I'm really deep into the, um, the neuroscience between manipulating people to buy more shit. And we're like, interesting skill set. I mean, I guess like that has a place in the world. Right. But I mean, how can we compete? We have neuroscientists figuring out how to hack our consciousness, right. Using, using the power of advertisements. So I think that first of all, just having that awareness is really important because turning that radio off or putting the phone away or muting your commercials when you're watching TV, like whatever the thing is that helps you reclaim your consciousness is important. And then on the flip side of that, what do you want to take in? You know, you're the most valuable thing you have in the world is your attention and your awareness. So it, take things in, absolutely absorb other people's perspectives and, uh, you know, ideas. This podcast is a really good example of that. If you're listening to this, you're probably already on a pretty good wavelength, but um but yeah, like how can we infiltrate the mainstream media with these concepts, with these teachings, these philosophies and these ideas to help people really assimilate a new narrative of what it means to be a human being. And so since you asked about the five T's, which is kind of a little bit of a different subject, um, but a good example really of like, this would be a valuable thing for people to learn about, you know, and maybe take into their daily lives. Um, the five T's is trust the triggers to teach. And it's just a simple, I don't know what you call that, um, meme, I guess, that I kind of pulled out of the quantum one day as a way to help me navigate my own triggers. And it's just a little reminder that whatever is triggering you externally, like whatever is pushing your button or making you feel something that you don't want to feel, like that's, that's where the medicine is. So if you can trust that trigger to teach, you're going to continue to evolve. Meaning if you're not 
going to automatically sort of reactionally try and reject it and resist it, but instead get curious about it and ask yourself, like, why is this showing up for me and what am I here to learn from it? Then that right there is like a game changing tool that can affect every area of your life. Beautiful. Well said. And to go back with the media, I don't know if you guys are familiar with the work of uh, Darren Brown, but you know, when the guy is sitting in his car and he's all zoned out, well, when you do hypnosis, which I've studied that, and I'm very curious about all that kind of thing, um, he would, what you want to do is get to the subconscious. So you're distracting the conscious mind with something. And meanwhile, these things are feeding into the subconscious mind. And so he does one experiment. uh, He does one where he um, basically gets this marketing team to do the thing he wants. But the, in the same show, he does another one where he lets this person go out throughout today. And then he says, okay, I want you to pick any toy from this toy store of, you know, tens of thousands of items. They pick a giraffe and then it shows back in time how he used the whole day and just implanted giraffes everywhere. So in the cab, there was a little giraffe, a little giraffe. So all this seeds in the subconscious mind. Um, and it's incredibly powerful. And if people are interested, check out a documentary called Century of Seven. And this is where they, you know, it's a masterclass about how they've been using this on people everywhere. And this goes into when you talked about the commercials, right? The commercial is one thing, but then the show is another. And then the movie's another. I've, I've given the example before where we don't have like at eight o'clock, it's not like just CSI, it's like murder show o'clock, you know, from eight to 10. In different ways may you be murdered, you know? It's like, right? You got a 15 year old kid, you know, I'm an adult man. And, you know, I've got some martial arts skills. Sometimes I'm afraid to just go out, you know, certain spots. I'm like, am I going to get attacked? Why is that thought even in my head? You know what I mean? And so it's such a, a, a crazy thing that we need to be aware of. And so, yeah, understanding triggers and, and using them as teaching tools is, is super important. And as I go through all the, you know, some of just a, a portion of what you guys have put together, there's so much really great material for um, a person to reflect on and then be guided through the process. You know, it's so powerful to go through with people who have gone through it and to hear from other people to be guided. So um, you really know how to get like to the bottom of, of your own crap, so to speak. And uh, I find that when I'm working with people, they will, they'll, they'll always go, it's like, is that crazy? Or is that weird? You know, they feel like they're alone in this process. It's like, no, this is what it means to be human. And so uh you also talk about uh, what does it mean to be unfuckable with and, and the relationship between fear and love. So I think those are two amazing, you know, really important concepts I'd love for you guys to speak on. Sure. Well, um, it's, first of all, it's becoming unfuckwithable, uh, the term, and, and we define, you know, you would think the, the, the logical, um, I think if you ask somebody, what does this mean? I think they would say, well, you know, nothing that you do kind of can affect me. And we define becoming unfuckable as when something happens to you and you can feel it fully uh, and not be in resistance to it. And so there's this, uh, you know, there's this, this belief out there that, that not feeling things is, is winning. Mm -hmm. Um, But the truth is, is that is, is when you can feel something, let's say, you know, the worst grief you can feel is like, feel it fully. And so you can actually move through it when you resist things um, is when you create that suffering and it doesn't go away. Right. So resisting isn't really a solution. So I think that the key to becoming unfuckwithable is the idea that you, you can do something to me and I could feel it fully without resistance to what is. Um, 
and allow it to move through me. And it's, it's, it's a powerful place because this game of life being fully alive, isn't about being in this happy state all the time. Everyone thinks there's this goal of it's, it's to be happy, but that's not the human experience. And so if your goal is to be happy and all of a sudden something comes up, grief, your dog dies, right? Well, that's not being happy. And so I'm not achieving what I'm supposed to be, but that's not the, that's not really the goal. The really, the goal is to feel it all fully and find the bliss in all of it, find the beauty in all of it, in the grief, find the gratitude in the grief. When my dad died and I I wasn't even deep in the work when that happened, the way I was able to move through it, you know, he died of pancreatic cancer over 10 months. And by the time he died, all I felt was gratitude. Um, because I allowed, allowed the grief to, to move through me. But when you resist those feelings, when you resist allowing those feelings to come to the surface, you really create turmoil and suffering within yourself. Yeah, there's like this backlog of unprocessed, undigested material that then sits there and kind of just festers, you know, like it's collected in the mem- memory of your cells and you might think it's gone, but then next thing you know, all of a sudden someone says the wrong thing or looks at you weird and you fly off the handle and you're like, whoa, where did that come from? Well, it's, it's the shit you didn't look at, you know, six months ago, five years ago, 20 years ago, that is trying to find an outlet somehow. And, uh, and, and it's just looking for the smallest little trigger, you know, again, to use that word to, to kind of open up that zip file of stored in information of, of emotional information and, and process it through your system. The, the problem is a lot of times it comes out in, in really unfortunate ways, ways that are painful to others, ways that create messy situations where later you feel regret, you feel like you, you know, you, you lost control. And then what is the, the natural impulse then is to try and control more, right? It's like, shit, I lost control of myself. What am I going to do? I'm going to try and clamp my emotions down even further, which just creates even more of a ticking time bomb. So it's really this like one of the biggest things that we need to learn as a culture is emotional intelligence. Like we need to learn how to process our feelings and and accept that we are feeling creatures, that we are creatures with feelings, male or female. It's completely irrelevant. Like if that's one one thing I've learned in this relationship is we all feel deeply, no matter what we look like on the outside. Those are really um, important and, and uh, yeah, just important concepts because, you know, Benjamin gave a man answer where I remember that one too, where you just like, you put the feelings to the side, you know what I mean? It's like, you don't look at it, right? You bottle that one up and what that creates is a disease, right? If you ever hear what people say, oh, like think about this memory and, and they have cancer or something crazy. And if they think about that traumatic memory, it's like in the body. And I've heard it put to me before this idea that the body is like a hard drive. Let's say it has a terabyte of uh, information stored throughout the body. So normally you go throughout your day and it's just store a little bit, like maybe half a gig or something, but you have a traumatic event and you feel it in your gut. That's like 20 gigs from that memory of mm-hmm. like this traumatic event. But as you go through your life, that energy is still there. That mm-hmm. emotion is still there because you're not processing the whole thing. You're not processing it through the whole body. And I just did a podcast with Raja Selvam, and he just talked about somatic therapy. And, and there's other um, things that are very similar in Buddhism and other techniques that just teach you to feel the emotion, right? To not try to bottle it up, squeeze it, ignore it, because then you're not going to be able to process it. And you can think of it as also 
although it's painful, you're processing the information of the experience, right? It's making you greater. Um, I remember actually it was at a ayahuasca um, ceremony and there's a guy and usually, I know you guys have had some experiences in, in our shaman would go around and get people to speak. Right. And so this one guy, he's just like, how was it? He just goes ruthless, terrible, awful, just absolutely horrendous. And I was like, oh, geez, you know, this on Friday, Saturday, same thing. It's just like ruthless. She was ruthless. It's terrible, <laughs> awful. Like I can't even, I was like, holy crap. Like you're coming back. Like you are, you are like solid. And then the next uh, day, you know, he comes back and he's like, you know, it was okay. Like I kind of understand it. And so I chatted with this man. And, uh, he, you know, he's big and he was bald, you know, he looked very, very strong. Turns out he was ex hell's angels muscle. And so he was processing all this terrible shit that he did mm. now flash forward a little bit, uh, time later, he's working with all these t- different people, whether they are addicted to drugs or they're in gangs or they're doing all these things. So he took all that pain and he was able to get through it. So now he's probably the only person that could relate to these people to help them in some capacity, right. To be guided to, right. I could go try, but they're not going to relate to me. You know, I I snowboard and do all these other things. This guy can relate and really help people on this path. So I think it's just a story that illustrates the power of learning to go through these things because, you know, you, you lost your father and that's awful. And I've had guests on the show that have lost children and, you know, I can't think of a worse experience being a father myself and, some of the people that aren't able to handle those situations can ruin their marriages, all these other possibilities because they can't handle that pain. And it's not a knock on them because that I can't imagine anything worse, but those who are able to get to the other side, they end up becoming really amazing gifts for other people, you know, when they're able to be strong enough. Right. And that's kind of like a simple rudimentary one as a man, if you get stronger in the physical capacity, you know, we used to be able to protect our families. You know what I mean? If there's like, that's what we would do. That's that strength. And it's like, it comes from being resilient. Right. But we can all be resilient in our own ways. It's just because I'm kind of like very primal. <laughs> you just think about punching things. It's like a way that I relate to it, but it's, it's a way that I, I train my resilience so then I can be resilient in other ways. So I feel like that's uh, a really important concept. And um, I'm curious if you guys can talk a little bit about uh, what it means to uh, die before you die. And I have an idea, but I feel like that's also a really important process too, because people are a little bit on autopilot and that goes with that little bit of, uh, the influence from the culture that we're in, right. When you're listening to the radio and you're kind of just being led, you're kind of just doing things. You don't know why you're doing them. Um, but when you go through the process of, you know, really reflecting on your mortality, I feel like it could be very valuable. Well, I think, you know, talking, using the example or what you brought up uh, around uh, this example of this hell's angel who, who allowed things to come to the surface. So my guess is, is that he's a lot like a lot of us are in that he worked really hard to suppress and repress those feelings. And it took medicine work and ayahuasca experience, which, which is what it took for me to really get to the really root cause of some of my issues for him to really for the medicine to force him to feel those things that his ego, his identity wasn't allowing him to feel um, so that he can transmute them and actually move forward. And when, when we say die before you die, that's kind of what we're referring to those, those, those false identities that we carry those feelings that we aren't willing to feel that feel like you're dying, right? Like I'm sure that guy did some terrible things 
that he was his ego, his identity was protecting him from feeling. And the medicine circumvented all that and, and forced him effectively to feel those things that he wasn't willing to feel so that he could actually move forward. And in some way, a part of him died in those ceremonies. And we have certainly lived through that. I've certainly lived through a lot of grueling ceremonies. But again, when you start to look at the universe as benevolent and the medicine is part of that benevolent universe is serving me when I go through really challenging ceremonies, um, you know, I'm going through when I'm in a really excruciating ceremony, just in it, I'm simultaneously like I've been there as has heard me where I'm like in the bucket all night purging and purging and it's brutal And I'm saying, thank you, grandmother, like, thank you, medicine, because I, even in the moment can see the medicine in, and I know it's serving me. And when you, when you start to look at life, those ceremonies get a lot easier, at least internally, even though physically it's the same expression, nothing's different, but the way I relate to it has changed. And so, um, I like to say I've died a thousand times and if I have to, I'll die a thousand more. Um, and so when we say die before you die, it's, it's those false identity. It's that programming that we've, we've, we've lived with all our lives is if you've been programmed your entire life, deprogramming yourself tends to not be a fun transition, right? It tends to be, it tends to feel like death, death of an identity, death of relationships, death of so much, like so many of my relationships have shifted. There's been so much death. Uh, but without you can't, and really we, we like to say that every initiation is preceded by a death in order for you to be initiated into a higher expression of yourself, a part of you has to die and death tends to be challenging. Uh, and this work is not for the faint of heart. And so that's why the last, the third of our, the last part, the last third of our book, we, we said, die before you die, which is a Brian Marioski quote. Marioski, yeah. 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 And we we talk about the, on the on the path uh, of becoming or transformation, whatever you want to call it. Uh, there's there's these like these threshold moments, right? Initiations are a good way to describe it. Uh, and a lot of times those can be real portals, and sometimes it is a death of some aspect of you that is required in order for you to move through that portal, and it can't be just an intellectual death. Like it has to be a visceral death. I've, I've found like it has to, you, there's something that happens almost alchemically inside of you where you're just, no matter how painful it is, it's like, there's no turning back. You just have to let whatever this thing is kind of have its way with you and move through it. And uh, on the other side, you'll always have access to more of your aliveness. It's, it's like, there's so many paradoxes on this path, but one of the paradoxes is the more you're willing to die, the more alive you become because you're able to actually be free of all of your attachments and your fears and your, well, maybe not all of them, but at least a good chunk of, of your, the shit that's keeping you playing small. And when you let that go and you let it die, it, it opens up that doorway to true aliveness, which is ultimately what we've found is, is actually the goal. Like Benjamin said earlier, it's not happiness, it's aliveness. It's to be, to feel all of it. And uh, if, if, even if that simple, you know, little nugget could be introduced to children in the, when they're starting their path of, of, of education and, you know, engaging with other, with other kids. And like, there's going to be shit that's painful, right? We all have memories of childhood where we're like, wow, that really hurt. 
how come we're not utilizing those opportunities to give kids, you know, a, a, a framework or a reference point or tools for how to handle these emotional experiences and, and, and bring the message forward of like, Hey, it's, it's, it's okay that you're feeling this. It's actually, it's actually supposed to be hard sometimes. Um, I think that would be so much, yeah, so much more healing for, for everyone. A hundred percent. I think you really have uh, hit the nail on the head with just happiness versus aliveness, because that's really in the, you know, the spirituality community. You know, I remember hearing once from someone is like, you know, and you talk about like doing only what's an F yes. And, you know, it's supposed to, but they translated it into like, it's supposed to be great all the time. You know what I mean? Like it's always hunky dory. It's like, well, what if your mom dies that day? Cause I never heard this idea. So I thought about it and I was like, doesn't make any sense, you know, cause I'm going to be sad that day. Like that's, that's not true. So, you know, going to a full spectrum aliveness, I feel like is, is so key and to, you know, and Zen, they'll talk about that a, a lot as well Is right. Die, the, die every day. You know what I mean? Start, you know, one day at a time, you know, leave that baggage, you know, all this stuff about how you, who you think you are. And when you are moving in through this transition of reprogramming yourself, which I think you, um, you know, put it very eloquently, most people just, they get a program and then they run that. And then what happens is some sort of contrast in the world, whether it's an illness or a loss of a job or some sort of event happens, then they begin to reimagine themselves, but it doesn't have to be like that. You can do that automatically before as you're in an experience and then learn how to shift it. I kind of say analogy of like, you know, if you're like in a school of fish, everyone's just following the school of fish, right? But if you're on a boat, is, makes more sense. And then you just start steering outside of the mainstream and the default. And then you're kind of like by yourself for a bit, but then you start getting these new experiences. You hit these new islands, you meet new people, you have new relationships. And as you um, experience one thing, it then refines to your direction, right? You know, which fits for you, which doesn't fit. You learn more about yourself and you grow. But if you just stay you know, with everybody else, just doing what you're supposed to do, which is kind of like the default setting of make as much money as you can with the least amount of effort, you know? So, right. So it's nice and comfortable and then just kind of proceed doing that. Not really thinking about who you truly are, what you truly want, you know, what, what you want to do here. So, um, that's just a, such a key is happiness versus aliveness. The one question I did want to make sure I get in is the three stages of becoming, can you guys talk about that a little? For sure. Yeah. So we, I guess one of the things that we're doing with everything we're, 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 we're creating is trying to find the patterns so that we can streamline uh, and create frameworks and, and principles that are kind of somewhat universal because trying to map the journey of someone's consciousness is very complex, right? Everyone is different and everyone's at a different level and different stage and has different lessons. And so Tracking similarities and patterns over time, I think is really valuable for us collectively because we can start to say, oh, wow, you're dealing with this thing and I'm dealing with this too. And there's kind of a, what we've observed is like a natural progression to, to the journey for people who, have, who are really on the path. And so the three stages of becoming are a loose framework to kind of create a little bit of structure amidst what can feel like a very confusing landscape of, of transformation. So stage one, basically the, the, the name of the framework is sugar bee honey. So stage one is sugar, which is the analogy is you're climbing sugar mountain. So imagine you're literally climbing a mountain made of sugar and it's that 
belief system, right? Of, of like the, the default world, you know, you gotta, you gotta hustle, you gotta work hard. And when you reach that powdery summit, you're going to be happy. And, and, and on the way up, you're kind of, you're getting the, the sugar high, but you're also continually crashing because sugar is, has no nutritional value. It's not ultimately going to fill you. Right. And as you're climbing, it's like, it's the, it's also dissolving beneath your feet. Like you're, you can, you can never actually get to the summit. It's a, it's an illusion that there even is a summit until eventually you, you do this long enough where you burn out and you sort of have this real crash where you realize, okay, a lot of times this happens once you have already achieved a lot of success in the material world, like Benjamin, for example. And you're like, I checked all the boxes. I did all the things. I got all the things I was supposed to get. And now I'm still feeling unfulfilled. Like what the fuck? I don't, am I allowed to say that on your podcast? Sure. No. <laughs> <laughs> you can't censor me anymore, I don't think. <laughs> so stage two then, which is kind of a natural evolution for a lot of people is the bee. And so the honeybee is our guide here. And the honeybee is all about being in service to the collective. It's about being in service to the hive, right? Giving of yourself to others, but you're also still part of the hive. So it's also still about what serves you. So it's, if you could say first stage is all about your personal preference. Second stage is about like a mutual preference. And also uh, uh, the, the honeybee represents this powerful idea that when, when the bee stings, it dies, it loses its life which is a really beautiful analogy or metaphor for when we hurt others, we're really hurting ourselves. Like it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's an embracing of our interconnectivity um, as kind of a default you know, way of looking at the world. And then from there, we may mature into the third stage of becoming, which is the honey stage. So unlike sugar, honey is also sweet, but it's deeply nutritious. It's very healing and you don't climb honey you become one with honey by realizing that you were never separate from it in the first place. So really we're looking at honey as kind of the embodiment of love. Like when you're, when you're in the frequency of love, when you're in that heart centered consciousness and you acknowledge the unity of all things, then life just kind of flows. Like it just sort of happens. You know, you're, you're not operating from personal preference. You're not even really operating from mutual preference. You're beyond preference. You're letting the intelligence of life of love move through you and you're you're making decisions from that place so the defining question of the third stage is what would love choose and those three stages have been really impactful for for us in our journey and we use that question all the time like when we're trying to make a decision and we're stuck in our own preferences we'll just be like wait 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 close your eyes you know drop into your heart like in this situation what would love choose and there's always a powerful answer that comes through if you're really listening. Wow. Very beautifully said, you know, I could talk to you guys all day um, and ask you a thousand questions. I'll be respectful of your time. So I'll ask like a big question. And then uh, if there's anything you guys wish that I'd asked, or you want to talk about, feel free. I'll sit here and listen. Cause I'd love to chat. Um, but the big question is there's a lot going on in the world right now. A lot of people are afraid. Uh, I hear a lot of different theories, right? Cause I like that and have different guests who tell me all kinds of things. Some of them are more crazy than others, but you know what? <laughs> anything is possible these days. Absolutely. Anything is possible. So, you know, how, what do you guys feel like is going on overall in the planet? And are, are you optimistic moving forward? And, you know, I'd also love for you to share for those who are in challenging situations, because I have noticed from, I, I kind of referenced this, I think in the podcast and before we started, there's a, there's a big difference in philosophy from people who are getting smoked 
by what's happening and those who are currently in freedom. And the United States, however it's set up there, for all the shit that I talked about it as a Canadian, hockey and sports, that system there is much better than ours. So, you know, there's been this um, ability to move and be free and have the life, liberty, pursuit uh, happiness. Now, other people have not had that and they've had to be really resilient, let uh, a lot of things go and you know, just a, a, an overall more challenging time. So their view seems to be less optimistic. Uh, my friend, Mike Bledsoe put it really uh, simply to me once and he goes, well, he goes, I was, a, I was in Austin <laughs> shooting big guns <laughs> around a bunch of other people who love freedom. So I feel really optimistic, but if I was in uh, San Francisco, I think less so. So that was kind of his um, uh, two cents. And I've kind of noticed that in Canada, it seems to be a lot more pessimistic but in the states and other places a lot more optimistic so that's the preface i'll give you and i'd love for you guys to touch on that a little bit yeah i'll go um so i guess i would say is you know the collective if, if we you know if we believe there is no separation that the individual has the same experiences as the collective and so we talked earlier about you know uh, die before you die and every initiation is preceded by a death and so you I, we would argue, I think, or I would argue that uh, the collective is in the same place. We're going through a death, uh, an initiation. Um, and I'm personally grateful in some, you know, I know there's a lot of people in pain and I don't want to, you know, belittle that. But as a, from a collective standpoint, um, I think we all want to see change in the world in a positive way. And I think in the same way I was talking about the happiness earlier, it's like, you can't just be happy. Sometimes you have to move through things and allow to things to come to the surface, to feel things fully. And when we talk about personal development, sometimes we think that the collective is different than the individual. And I'm, I'm per personally grateful for everything that the collective is feeling right now, because I know that on the other side of it, we'll have felt something fully and we'll move in a positive direction. Um, and then I also, our, our friend, Peter Crone likes to use this quote, fully committed and, and totally unattached. I'm, we're, I'm very optimistic about the future. Uh, I have this deep knowing that um, we will thrive and that that thriving is inevitable. And I also know that in order for that to happen, we all, all of us doing the work have to be fully committed to it. And, and if we're not fully committed, it won't happen but I know it'll happen because we'll be fully committed. And so it's a paradox. Um, so I'm very optimistic about the future and also know that it it's going to take all of me uh, for that inevitability to, to happen. Um, and I guess I would just say, I grew up in the way I looked at the world as in, in kind of closing is, is that there was my truth. And once I thought I knew uh, capital K truth, um, then, uh, I was going to defend it and, and convince and coerce and, um, everyone in my life that this is the way they should look at the world. And I think as I've done more and more work on myself, uh, I've realized that there really is almost never a universal truth with a capital T. And, and so I think that as we're, we're in a world where there's a lot of, a conflict and there's a lot of differing, differentiating opinions and there's more polarity uh, than we've ever had potentially. Uh, and so I guess I would just invite the audience to, um, to not be grounded in, in a truth. And, and I think that understanding each other's truths and knowing that somebody with a different perspective 
their truth is not any more true than mine. And so I think that if we start engaging with each other and relating to each other from this perspective, I think things will be, will start to feel a little bit easier. And, and I think, I also think that when you're, when you're coming from that place of not making somebody else's truth wrong, uh, they're a lot more inclined to be open-minded to your truth because their defense mechanisms kind of come down. Yeah. I mean, there's so many things I could say, but just to jumping on that, you know, it, this is, this is the age of information, right? It's also the age of misinformation and it's the age of like utter confusion of like, well, everywhere I look, there's contradicting opinions about what's going on and why things are the way they are. And so, and they're compelling, they're compellingly contradictive. (laughs) This person said it in a way that felt like really well-researched and true. And then the next person has all the counterpoints to that exact same statement. And so what are we, what are we supposed to do when, when we have so much contradiction and so much polarity, I think the real invitation is to stop trying to listen to all the external opinions and cultivate a relationship with your own internal knowing. And it's, it's the all caps knowing it's not the intellectual knowing, but it's the knowing that is like deep inside your bones. It's inside of your genetic material. It's like your innate connection to the larger intelligence of life. It's alive inside of you. It might have been turned down to a tiny, tiny pilot light, but it's still there. And as long as you're breathing, it's never going to go out and you can do things to fan the flame of your internal knowing and, and, and really embrace that connection to the source where you don't need to rely on all these external, you know, suggestions of what things are supposed to be or or mean. And you can just continually come home to that place within yourself um, that exists beyond the mind. And I think that that's really the, the invitation with all the, as, as it gets louder and louder and more confusing is just to get quieter and quieter and quieter internally. So that's one piece. And then, you know, the other piece is like, we, we think of the, the, or the analogy we like to use for what's happening on our planet right now is the analogy of childbirth. So imagine you're an alien and you're like, you know, floating through all outer space and you decide you see this little blue planet and you're like, I'm going to pop down there for a visit. And you happen to land in a room in a hospital where a woman is in the middle of giving birth. And that's all you have to paint your picture of what you know, human being life is like. So you have blood, you have pain, you have screaming, you have goo, you have what feels like, you know, woman being ripped apart, like from the inside out, it's all pretty traumatizing, right? When you don't have context, but when you have context, it's a beautiful thing. It's a natural thing. It's something that has to occur for life to continue. And I think that's kind of the way we could relate to what's happening collectively globally is we're in a birthing process and it's painful and it's intense. And we are, you know, we're we're just kind of buckling our seatbelts, making our way through it. But if you zoom out far enough, you'll be able to reflect back on this time, I think, I believe in my heart, and you'll be able to see the beauty and the necessity of this, you know, this birth canal that we had to squeeze our way through. And when we can continue to hold that in our hearts, I think it it can, can help soften the intensity of what's happening is we cannot continue the way that we've been living on this planet. It's just not sustainable in any way, shape or form. And the only way to untether ourselves from 
the matrix of separation that we've been born into is to go through this death process and this rebirth process. So I love I love the scene in, in the matrix where Neo is wakes up in the pot of slime and he's like pulling the thing out of his mouth, you know, and it's like nasty, gnarly, awful experience where you're cringing watching it. But he's waking up. He's waking up from something that isn't that isn't really, truly who he is. And so sometimes shit has to get really hard before it gets better. But I think we're 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 in a place where we can't go back. And we're being rattled out of our comfort zones in a big way, which is also a really necessary part of this process. Um, and lastly, I guess I just want to speak because you said you, you've used the word freedom a few times on this podcast. And I think that it's, it's also a time for us to really sit with what that means for us. You know, is freedom the, the, the freedom to have the infinite choice to go and do and be and have whatever we want? Or is freedom an internal state of being that we can cultivate? You know, even if we're sitting behind bars in a prison cell, that is, is it something that we, that can actually never be taken away from us, no matter what our external circumstances are like? And I think that's just a, a powerful question to sit with. And it's a paradox because it's being able to be free in that scenario, right? Victor Frankl used yeah. the example earlier is the greatest example that you could give. Um, and simultaneously, the paradox of of you know, standing for your, your Absolutely. real physical freedom. Yeah. Um, so it's both. Yeah. It's, it's always both. It's always, it's always both. a yes. And <laughs> well, I love both of those perspectives and I, and I totally agree, uh, especially on the freedom concept. Cause I've had uh, two guests on that have been incarcerated and came to that it, freedom from getting everything taken away. Right. Mm -hmm. And then on the flip side is sometimes it's like that spoiled child where you have everything, but you're not grateful. You don't know. You know, when I was in Nepal, they didn't have warm water. So I'm, you know, trekking Everest or doing that. It was always so cold. Right. And I was like, oh man, hot water is just such a nice privilege that I didn't even think of before. So, and, and I definitely agree that we're going through some sort of necessary awakening in that or, or transition or birthing process. And it goes back to those like operating systems. And if, if we have this operating system that God creator, whatever that is, great spirit for you is in control. Um, there's a verse in the Bible that says something along like fear, not the plans of man. You know, you have this greater spiritual um, essence, like your soul, you know, they can poison your mind and they do. They can poison your food and they do, um, but you're the one who has to poison your own soul with your choices. And so if we mm -hmm. accept that we're not going to live forever, as we navigate through these times, we can do it in a more peaceful and powerful way. And I know from where I have been, it's been pretty restrictive and other people are really restrictive, but really it's not been that restrictive. I've been able to let go and navigate in my own world in a very happy way, in a very empowered way, in a way that I have a quality of life. Now it wasn't kind of what it was before, um, but I am optimistic because I see a lot of benefits from this, right? A lot of people kind of waking from a slumber, um, you know, not to kind of and I get off a tangent, but I was always curious why we had war and starvation and I worked on, you know, bringing awareness to human trafficking. Nobody even knows what's going going on i you know again side note but talk to a police officer friend of mine even where am i i am in my hometown there's a problem here and people have no idea so as everything kind of gets worked they wake up to kind of what's going on to the scenario then we can then work together to fix it right we can say okay now that we see this thing what what is it that we want right we want to have good communities good education you know uh, opportunity for our kids and so this requires us seeing some things that are not beneficial um, because it's kind of i feel like it's us sleeping at the wheel that have allowed a lot of some of the systems and structures that are not really serving the planet or each other or you know mankind uh, that have gotten us to this point so 
Um, is there anything else that you wish that I'd asked or that you'd love to share before we close this? And again, this has been a real treat. Um, this is just the tip of the iceberg for what you guys are sharing. Uh, I love it because it, I can see how it encompasses basically all facets of being alive, you know, in, in very important ways. And then uh, adds like a structure and a process to it, which, uh, you know, makes it practical. So I really, you know, think that that's good where you can have philosophical, but then what do you do with it? Right. So when you can combine those two things, you can get uh, effective transformation. Yeah, for sure. Um, I guess I just add like the, the, the element of privilege, you know, to, to, to live in a country, even, even with the restrictions and the censorship and like, you know, all of the craziness that we've had to go through, even just the fact that we can, you know, put food on the table and have warm water, like this, already puts us in a very privileged place. And the fact that we can utilize our time to listen to a podcast like this, like this puts us in a very small percentage of the population in reality. And to, for a long time, when I really started to become aware of my privilege as a white woman, you know, educated and living in the Western world, um, there was a long time where I felt a lot of guilt around that. And I felt like, I don't know, it was this weird feeling of, of, um, kind of constantly comparing myself to people who have so much less and then feeling bad for what I have. But I've been able to shift that and, and really see it as a responsibility. Like my privilege comes with a responsibility that I don't just use it for my own benefit, but that I take my, my privilege and, I, and the life force energy that comes with it, the gift of the life force energy that comes with it. And I channel that energy in a way that is going to serve many, many people outside of my own, my own personal agenda. Uh, and I think when we can start to see it through that lens, we can start to think in a way that is, yeah, just always taking into consideration the, the larger collective state of, of where people are at. And uh, we can, one, one single human being can do so much, uh, you know, when, when, they're, when they're really in that mindset of interconnectivity and wanting to give of themselves to others. So I think that was just the last little piece that I wanted to add. Yeah. yeah. I feel good. I feel like we covered a ton of ground. That was a great podcast. Yeah. Thank you, brother. <laughs> My pleasure. Well, where can people find your book and your work? And if they want to follow you guys and dive deeper, where should they go? Our website is www.becoming.me and obviously becoming spelled with a Q. Uh, you can find a ton of content. If you sign up for the three stages of becoming that we talked about on the show. Um, you just give us your email. We'll send that to you. Um, you can find the book on our website. It's also on Amazon and audible and, um, yeah. And then we have the six month coaching process where we take people through a really comprehensive deep dive on building a new operating system for their life through our framework. Uh, and, uh, we, in some of those, we incorporate retreats with plant-based medicine as well. Yeah. We're enrolling to those right now. They're going to start in the summer of 2022. And then there'll be ongoing enrollment after that for various other courses. So just check out our process page on our website and see if any of those might be a good fit. Yeah. And we're on all the social channels with our names or becoming, it's pretty easy to find us. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for your work and for just, you know, creating everything that you're doing and then just committing to the process because uh, it can be a challenge to commit to something uh, of the size and scale that you guys are doing. So congrats on that and in uh, the book and just thanks for coming on the show. Thank you, brother. Thank you. Thank you. All right. See you guys. Thanks for watching. Peace. 
there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, the absolutely amazing Benjamin and Azria Becker. I hope that you enjoyed that episode and that you got a lot of value on just their wisdom and even the questions that we were reflecting upon. It was such a deep dive. So I hope that you enjoyed this episode and that if you did, you'll just share it around, that you'll take a moment to leave a review in iTunes, um, support with a like or whatever you got to do to get the word out there to overcome this uh, censorship beast that we're all, a lot of us are fighting and we just want to put out positive content we want to find the truth we want to empower each other and that's really what it's about if we can take these lessons and apply them in the communities that we're in if the in the relationships the households the towns that's really we're gonna where we're gonna make the biggest effect so thank you guys so much for listening to this show for your support um, if you want to get a hold of me just simply send me an email matt at zenathlete.com whether it's on telegram or get on the email list but i'm very accessible um, the social medias are switching up a little bit these days just with the censorship but i am findable if you uh, just go to my website and you'll see the links all there so thank you guys so much for this show uh listening to the show i appreciate you i'm sending you all of my prayers and well wishes and let's just come into a state of peace and coherence before we close this out wherever you are in the world just stop what you're doing take in a deep breath in through your nose hold that breath and let it out slowly filling every cell muscle and fiber of your being with joy peace contentment power grace courage faith and get ready to enjoy the rest of your day so thank you so much for listening and i'll see you in the next episode